1995, Starbucks, the coffee shop, came up with a product. And this product um, was, seemed a little absurd when people first saw it, when it was first being marketed, but it took off like gangbusters. And in fact, now if you go to any coffee shop around America, probably even around the world, they have this particular product. And this product was really just a paradox. If you go back to your English class days in high school or college, you remember that a, a paradox is an idea that seems to contradict itself. And so this particular product that Starbucks came up with, you're probably wondering, iced coffee. Okay, anybody ever bought an iced coffee before? Yeah, it seems absolutely absurd because you'd always thought of coffee as being hot, but when they introduce it as iced coffee and people kind of looked at it going, this is what, huh, what? It is now 70% of all the gross sales that takes place at Starbucks is some kind of iced product, including iced coffee. And so a paradox, something that seems absurd, yet in reality there's a truth behind it and people gravitate to it. Now another paradox that you might remember if you still go back to your English class days in high school or college, do you remember the Shakespearean play Hamlet? There was that moment that Hamlet felt like he needed to get back because of his uncle's death. And he made this, this statement. He said, I must be cruel to only be kind. And so in one, sec, in one moment he's saying, I'm cruel, but then this act that I'm about to do, I will actually be being kind because I'm paying back my uncle's death and what was done to him. Another paradox that you might recognize, someone once said this, the more you try to impress people, the less impressed they'll be. And so a paradox, it's this idea that doesn't make sense. It's absurd on one hand, but the more you kind of think through it, there's actually truth behind it. But probably I believe the most universal paradox in our world is when it comes to generosity. Because some way, somehow, we think that when we have things, whether it's our possessions, whether it's our money, whether it's our time, maybe even our talents, we have these things that are ours, and we think because they're ours, we have to hang on to them if we want to keep them. Yet, if you've been around very long, you realize this, the more you give away, the more you actually keep. In fact, one person said it this way. They said, giving we receive and in grasping we lose. And so this idea of generosity is a paradox all in itself. It doesn't seem to make sense, but when we do share, when we do give, it seems like we get back even more than we do give. And so what I'd like to do, because the month of Thanksgiving, or the month of November is Thanksgiving, it's a time of gratitude, it's a time of remembering our generosity that was given to us, and we try to be generous to people. For the month of November, I want to lead us in a sermon series over generosity. And the sermon series is actually called The Generosity Paradox. And so it's just four weeks of looking at generosity, not what the world thinks about it, because oftentimes the world has a wrong perspective of it, but what does God think about generosity? And through the month of November, we'll be looking at four different biblical writers. We'll be looking at King David, see what he says about it. We'll also look at his son Solomon, what he thinks about generosity. And then we'll jump to the New Testament and we'll see the perspective of Jesus and the Apostle Paul. But the whole month of November is to simply gain a biblical view of generosity. Now, you may be here going, okay, I think I won't come back for the next three weeks because I know when the church does a series over generosity, what they're going to be doing is asking for my money. In fact, right now when I said we're going to have a series over generosity, I probably just divided the church into two different sections, not like right and left, this side or that side. But if, when I talk about generosity, you'll probably either fall in the category of the ameners or the oh-knowers. 
Okay? The ameners are those that have learned over the course of your life the benefits of generosity. You're the ones going, yeah, those folks need to hear about that. In fact, as you saw the offering basket pass by, you're looking at the person next to you going, and you need to listen to it because I saw you didn't put anything in that. So the ameners are like, yeah, let's hear it and let's let everyone else hear about this. Now, the O-knowers are the ones in here that, that maybe you've heard about generosity, but every time it comes up, you feel guilty because things just kind of stick in your wallet a little bit tighter, or maybe they stick in your time, sticks a little bit closer to hand. And so you're going, oh no, not a series, another series about generosity. Well, let me make a couple of promises to you. First of all, if you're in the amen group, I promise you, it might not be as fun to listen to this series as you think it is. And here's why. Because personally, I fall in the ameners. When I was a little kid, my parents taught me to tithe. And so every time I came to church, if I had a dollar for allowance, 10 cents went into the offering plate. As I got older and I got more money, 10%. And since Denise and I have been married, that's just a discipline that we've kept in our life, this 10% that we always give. Well, let me tell you what's going on as I study this series. My understanding of generosity is changing. You see, I thought when I give my 10%, I'm done. But God is beginning as I study for this scripture, shine his Holy Spirit's light onto my heart and showing me things in my life that I didn't know was there when it comes to generosity. And so my promise, if you're an ameneer, stick around because God may really grow you and shape you and show you some things that you've never seen before when it comes to generosity. Now, if you're an O-knower, let me promise you this. This sermon series, we will not be asking for your money, okay? We won't be asking for your time. We won't be asking for your talents. Here's what I'll be showing throughout this sermon series, just like we do any other sermon series. Simply just showing you that God wants all of your heart. And then you and God get to decide what you do with your money. You and God get to decide what you do with your talents. And you and God get to decide what you do with your time that you have. And so simply this sermon series is about us saying, God, here's our heart. And we'll give you whatever you want from our heart. So with this idea of generosity, let's go ahead and look at today's passage. It is found in the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 29. And we're going to be looking at David's, King David's perspective when it comes to generosity. Now, before I read this passage to you, let me kind of set up here. This is the season of David's life. He's at the end of his life. He's not on his deathbed, but he realizes there's a lot less days in front of him than the days that he's had behind him. In fact, he's at the season of life that he's recognizing that it is time to transition the kingdom over from him being in charge and placing it and giving it to Solomon, his son, to lead the country. He also is recognizing that everything in him wanted to build God a permanent temple. Up until this point in the history of Israel, they had always had just a temporary place of worship. But David had it on his heart to build God a temple. But we'll find out that God said, no, David, you're not the one to build a temple. That's going to be your son Solomon's job. And so David, since he couldn't have this, this joy of building the temple, he is kind of like laying the foundation. He's doing some of the, you might say, some of the preliminary um, recruiting of people to give money for this temple. And so he's standing before himself. He's standing before God, but also at this moment in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, he has called and gathered all the nation of Israel together so he could give them this speech about generosity. And it's in this speech, but it's really more than a prayer than a speech. In this prayer, we're getting a glimpse of his perspective when it comes to sharing the things that he has. So if you have your Bibles, or we'll have it up here on the screen, here's what it says in chapter 29, beginning in verse 10. 
David says to the assembly, then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole entire assembly. O Lord, our God, our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Here's what David's doing. As he stands before the assembly, and I want you to imagine the assembly, it's not just a, a splattering of two or 300 people. It was literally thousands, maybe even a million people there standing to hear what the king, their leader, has to say to them. And they were probably thinking he's come to the end of his life and he's going to look back and recognize all the great things he's done and all the accomplishments and where the country is. But David stands before all of Israel and says this, God, it's really about you. He took the spotlight off himself as the leader of the country, and he made sure that every single boy, girl, man, and woman there saw that that spotlight was placed on God himself. And as I think about that and I read that, it's really hard to imagine because I'm used to turning on the TV, and if I see a politician, they're talking about everything that they've done already in their lifetime. If I turn on a sports story, we're looking at a pro athlete saying how great they are or any kind of media celebrity, I'm so used to, we are so used to people when they get in the public spotlight, putting the spotlight on themselves and declaring how great and good they are. But in this moment, David was laying the foundation because he was about to pray and talk for generosity. But David knew this, to understand really generosity, one has to understand their place in life. You see, his place was below God. But the minute you and I ever place ourselves above God, then we no longer need to have, be generous because everything is and about and for us. But David understood his place in life was before God and God was first. And then he went on to say this, everything in the heavens and on earth is yours. Oh Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Once David understood his place in life, he then could better understand his possessions in life. Let me say that again. That once David understood his place in life, it gave him a clear perspective of his possessions in life. And rather than fighting God for control, David was adoring God for being in control. Yet I wonder how many times as we stand before God, we sometimes try to wrestle for the authority. Not, not that we're brave enough, not, not that we're bold enough to say, God, I'm in charge and you're not. But by the very essence of things that we do and choices that we make, we begin wrestling God and try to take him off the throne and place ourselves on the throne. But on this day before all of Israel, David said, God, everything is about you. And because everything is about you, as I think through the filter and look at all the possessions in my life that you've given me, it helps me to have a clear perspective of whose they really are in the first place. He goes on to verse 12. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion people are made great and they're given strength. David's declaring for all of Israel. It's not just the things in my coffer. It's not just the size of my bank account and all my money and all my silver and all my, God, all my gold that God has. God is responsible for everything in my life. He's responsible for my honor that I have. He's responsible for all the power that I have and even the strength that I carry as a mighty army, a leader of the mightiest army on earth. God is the initiator. God is the originator. God begins and ends all of those things. 
Do you see the humble place that David was placing himself? Not a place of prestige, but a place of serving God. His whole life, he had succeeded in everything. He had succeeded in being a shepherd when he fought off the, the wolves and the lions to keep from getting his sheep. He had succeeded in being amazing, a musician that calmed the soul of Saul, the king that he played before when he was just a young boy. He was a poet. He was a warrior. He was a statesman. He was the world's greatest king at this time that was leading the world's strongest, greatest nation. Yet he was declaring, God, it's all about you. And somebody said, well, well time out, David. Like, yeah, God's a part of it, right? But, but you've worked hard, David. I mean, you have paid your dues. You have worked hard. Shouldn't you get some of the credit for it? And I think David would respond and say this, while success is often the result of hard work, God is the one who gives us the ability to work hard. Go home this afternoon and take inventory of all the things God's given you. Your house, your cars, the clothes in your closet, the vacations you've got planned to go on this next year. And you can step back going, wow, I've really done good to be able to accumulate and successful and be able to afford these things. And there's a moment that we want to pat ourselves on the back. But before you pat yourself on the back, realize who is it that gives you the breath to be able to pat yourself on the back. And yes, we do our part. But God begins all things, including our power and our honor and our strength and all of our possessions. David goes on to say this, Oh, our God, we thank you and we praise your glorious name. But who am I, he says, and who are my people that we could give, you, give anything to you? So he's beginning the transition about them being generous and taking some of their offerings and their, their possessions, their time, their talent, and giving it to God in order to build this temple. But before he does that, he recognizes, who are we to even give you anything Everything we have has come from you, and we give you only what you gave us first. David was considering himself unworthy to even begin thinking about being generous. Contrastingly, there's too many times that I think we think of ourselves as being, or maybe God being lucky that we give to him. Oh God, look at me. I'm such a good follower of you. I'm such a good Christian. I give 10% and twice a year I give a little bit more than that. And there is a benefit. There's a, there, there's a blessing in giving that. But we begin to think, God, aren't you glad I'm on your side? Because if I wasn't on your side, you wouldn't be getting this. God, you are really lucky to have me on your side. But yet David took a totally opposite perspective. And he said, God, who am I that I'm even able to give you anything that you first gave me? Verse 15, we are here only for a moment, visitors and strangers in the land as our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow, gone so soon without a trace. Isn't it interesting? David's talking to the entire nation, talking about setting up the very foundation of being generous, and he pauses for a moment and reflects on his own mortality. And it's at this moment that he voices to everybody a thing that he's probably been thinking about and pondering in his own heart for some, for some time. It doesn't, he doesn't know how many days are left in his life, but he knows the days are numbered. And here's what I think is going on. It's in his recognition of his mortality that allows him to hold his, hold his riches looser. Because he recognized something. No matter how tight he held on to the things that he had, his gold, his silver, his money, no matter how tight he held on to it, the moment he took his last breath, he would no longer be able to hang on to it. 
And so why not be generous when your days on earth are living days? Back in 1937, John D. Rockefeller passed away. At that moment in time, John D. Rockefeller was known as the richest man in the entire world. In fact, if you took his riches back in 1937 and you equated them to dollar value today, many experts say he'd have over $410 billion to his name. Very, very rich. If John D. Rockefeller lived here today, we would pray that he would attend South Sub Church and be very generous. He was that kind of richness. But upon his death, someone asked his accountant, how much did he leave behind? Was it in the millions? Was it in the billions? Was it in, how much did he leave behind? And his accountant turned and looked at the person and asked the question and said this, he left all of it behind. The idea he could take none of it with him. Whether he died a poor man or a rich man, they all take the same thing with them. And I believe this, David accepting his mortality allowed him to be more generous in this world. Because he knew the treasures that he was building up in heaven would not be what he's taking with him. It's what he's doing with his treasures on earth that would allow him to build up treasures up in heaven. In verse 16 and 17, O Lord our God, David went on, even this material we have gathered to build a temple to honor your holy name comes from you. It all belongs to you. I know, my God, that you examine our hearts and rejoice when you find the integrity there. You know I have done all this good, all this with good motives, and I have watched your people offer their gifts willingly and joyously. David lets us know a little secret about God. God looks as much as our attitude and our generosity as in our final gift and our action of generosity. Let me say that again. God looks as much at the attitude behind the generosity as he does the amount, the action of the giving and the generosity that takes place there. So you might ask the question, well, if God looks at the heart and it's about the motive, and I don't really have a sharing heart right now. Like if I was to give something, whether my time or my talent or my treasure, it would be more out of obligation than like this generous heart. So should I just not give right now? Well, let me ask you this question. When you were raising your kids and you're trying to teach them to brush their teeth before they went to bed, you're teaching them to take their dirty dishes and put in the dishwasher and to take their dirty clothes and put in the clothes hamper. And your seven-year-old son looks at you and said, you know, I really don't feel like it right now. Did you look at your seven-year-old son going, that's okay, son. What we're really after here is just a good heart, okay? When you feel like putting your dirty clothes in the hamper, that's when you put those in there. When your heart, absolutely not, we didn't. We're like, listen, I'm going to bust your backside if you don't get those in there, and we'll get your heart catch up with your actions later on, right? I think the same principle is true in in our own giving, in our generosity. Now, God wants it to come from a generous heart. But there are times our action may lead our very hearts. And until our feet and our hands begin to do what our mind thinks we ought to do, our hearts may not be with it yet. But over the course of time, then the heart catches up and the motivation is there. In verse 18 and 19, David went on, O Lord, the God of our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, make your people always want to obey you. See to it that their love for you never changes Give my son Solomon the wholehearted desire. Wholehearted. You recognize that word? We just studied Elijah. And wasn't that a key word in Elijah? That when Elijah pronounced to all the nation of Israel, God wanted their whole hearts. 
And so here's David praying, give my son the wholehearted desire to obey all your commands, laws, and decrees, and to do everything necessary to build this temple for which I have made the preparations. I love when David says to the people, oh God, see to it that their love for you never changes. You see, generosity, many people think, begins the foundation of generosity is sacrifice. Sacrifice is a part of generosity because when we're generous, we do, when we are generous, we do sacrifice certain things, right? But sacrifice is not the foundation of generosity. Some people think that obedience is the foundation of generosity, and I would disagree. Obedience is a part of generosity, but it's not the foundation. What David lets us know here is this, that the, the foundation of generosity is love. Go back to John three sixteen, maybe one of the first verses that you ever memorized. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Was it a sacrifice for God to send Jesus on the earth? Absolutely. Was there obedience that Jesus followed through in following the orders and the, the, the wishes of his father? Absolutely. They were all part of the generous gift of Jesus that we were presented on, on this earth, but it was never the foundation. It was the love that God had for you and I. And that's where generosity begins, the love. And David prays that. He says, see to it that their love never changes. The congregation, the nation of Israel was at this place and they're going, God, we want to live wholeheartedly for you. They were in a good place. And David looked at every one of them and thought, oh God, may it never change where they are right now. And again, he uses that term wholeheartedly. The reason that I was not hesitant to do a series over generosity is because of that word wholeheartedly right there. Had a pastor friend of mine going, Keith, you've only been there seven months. I wouldn't do a whole month on generosity, okay? Like, people don't like listen to that for a month. Do a week, get in and get out, okay? <laughs> um, don't just, don't, don't linger there very long. Listen to me, church. It's not about money. It's not about giving more of your time. It's not about giving more of your talents. What this is about is us wholeheartedly loving and walking with God. And when our hearts are completely his, then our talents become his. When our hearts are completely his, our treasures become his. When our hearts become his, our everything else about us becomes his. And so the reason that for the next month we're going to talk about generosity, and I'm not worried about the response because I know this, when our hearts continually more and more line up and wholeheartedly follow God, we become a church that loves Jesus wholeheartedly. And when we become a church that loves Jesus wholeheartedly, that is the beginning of changing and reaching our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the ameners or oh-knowers, I'm not worried about either one because we are one body just simply wholeheartedly trying to follow Jesus. Let me do this. Let me give you four takeaways as we look at David's perspective, his prayer here. Here's four takeaways. And if you're taking notes, you can fill these in. It's four truths that we can find from this passage. And here's the first one. God is the owner of everything I possess. We can take from everything that David just prayed for the nation of Israel, the same prayer for us, that God is the owner of everything that I possess. Now, let me throw something out to you because this really hit me this past week. This idea that God is the owner of everything seems to collide with this idea that we give God 10% our tithe. Let me explain why. 
since I was a little bitty boy. If you get a dollar, put 10 cents in. If you have $10, you put $1 in. If you have $1,000, you put $100 in. And every time I'm like, okay, God, this is, this is how I'm supposed to do it. Here's your 10% and here's my 90%. And as that income grew, it was like, oh, God, here's your 10%. Woo, that's a whole lot. And here's my 90%. And once I gave God his 10%, I have taken this attitude. And here's my confession. This is why right now God's rocking my world with this. And I've always taken the, the, the attitude Then the 90% is mine to do with it what I want to. Now, Denise and I have tried to be good stewards, okay? We try to stay with our spending plan and, and we have a budget. And so we're not going crazy out there, but the 90% is still mine. And you know what I like about the 90% rule right now? There's more of it. Because I no longer pay for my kids' insurance. I finally got my kids off my telephone bill. Praise God, didn't know if that would ever happen in life. And all of a sudden, Denise and I are in this season of life. We're going, woo, there used to be the 90% left over. It was gone before you got to the end of the month. But we're in a season of life now. It's empty nesters. And like many of you out there going, there's a little bit more of this 90%. We can plan this vacation we want. We can go do this. We can go do this. We can... We can order Cokes for dinner, okay? Many years of our life, like, kids, we're going out to eat, but you're drinking water because we can't afford Cokes, right? We can afford Cokes when we go out to dinner to now because it's my 90%. And I'm recognizing it's not my 90%. 10% is his, and the other 90% is still his because he owns all things. Now, does that mean Denise and I still can't take a vacation? Absolutely not. Does that mean I still can't order Cokes when I go out to eat? Absolutely not. But I have to recognize that the way I address and approach that 90%, if I don't believe and live out that it's his, then I become very selfish with it. But as long as I recognize all 100% is his. Now, 10% is something I give him, but 90% is something I manage for him. And sometimes my managing, and this is where he's kind of getting me right now going, Keith, you know how you gave 10% all those years and you thought, God, how am I going to do it? And you trust God. You could give me an extra 2% and still not miss it right now. You could give me another 3% and still not miss it. You, I'm like, well, okay, God, let's just start there. Okay, you know, we slow down a little bit right there, God. But here's what it's doing. This idea of ownership that I've missed so many years of my life because I've held tithing his 10%, 90% my percent, and hadn't thought of all 100% as his, it's causing Denise and I to have conversations down our life that we haven't had for a long time when it comes to generosity. But it goes back to the truth that says this, God is the owner of everything that I have. Let me give you the next, next truth. Second truth says this, everything I own is on loan to me by God. Let me say it again. Everything I possess is on loan to me by God. Several years ago, the Denver Art Museum had a special showing, and it was over a Monet collection. There was a number of museums from around the world, from Paris, from New York to Chicago, that loaned the, the, the Denver Art Museum their collections of Monet. And so it was literally one of the largest showings of Monet paintings anywhere in the world during this time. And so people would come from all over the place to look at these things. But here's the question I have. When they had you walked in the Denver Art Museum, you looked at all these amazing paintings by Monet. How many of them was the Denver Museum supposed to take care of? 100% of them. 
That's because they were on loan to them. And you know how they were supposed to take care of them? Not just besides put them behind the glass, make sure the climate's all that. Here's how they were really supposed to take care of them. Because when they were given to them, the Denver Art Museum was not supposed to shut the doors and lock it going, wow, would you look at our possessions? Would you look at our paintings? Would you look at our collection? Wow, we're really good museum curators because look at what we have here. No, here's how they were supposed to take care of them. They were supposed to open their doors and invite to come public to come be blessed by what they had. Are you with me, church? When God gives us our possessions, they are on loan to me by God. And the reason my possessions, my time, my treasure, my talents are on loan to me by God, because through me, they're supposed to be a blessing to other people. And that's why God loans us. Nothing is ours. He owns everything. He gives us these things so we can be a blessing to others, not just enjoy them all ourselves. Let me give you the third truth here. Third truth says this, I'm expected to manage everything God gives me. What would happen at the end of that, that season that the Denver Art Museum had all these paintings and it's time to hand them back to Chicago and Paris and New York and the other museums. And they called and said, okay, we're going to deliver these, but we have one problem. On the second month, we had all these artwork. We had a leak in one of the pipes. And so we couldn't find anything. So we just grabbed one of these Monet paintings and we kind of wrapped the canvas around this leak. And, and by the way, we also had somebody walking through that they shouldn't have this, this, this cup of drink, but they spilled this cup of drink and we couldn't find the mop. And so we grabbed another Monet and we mopped up the floor with it. Do you think these other museums would look at them going, oh, that's okay. Mm -mm. They said, no, no, we gave these to you and we wanted you to manage these and you needed to manage them well. I guarantee you this, the Denver Art Museum, if they use those paintings that way, would never be loaned any paintings ever again in the lifetime of the museum. Now, stick with me. I wonder how many of our possessions, time, treasure, and talents have ever taken something and used it as lightly as this illustration I just gave you, and we wrapped up a leaking pipe that's up in the ceiling that God gave us to us for as much greater purpose than we're using it, but we're not using it for his purpose or his way or the best he wants us to. We're using it for just some simple, easy, get me out of a fix way. Are you with me? Uh, I, I think back in our, our first service, we have a young lady, um, her name is Elena, and she'd been coming to our church six or seven months. Talking with her, I found out that she's actually a music teacher at one of the local schools around here. And so he said, Elena, would you think about consider singing on our contemporary, our, our worship team? So she has taken the gifts that God's given her, this beautiful singing voice, and she's now on stage using it in the way God intended for her to. Again, time, talents, and treasures. But we are expected to manage the very possessions that God's given us. Let me finish with this last one, and we'll be done today. Fourth truth that we can take, take from David's prayer. God desires me to be generous managing everything he's given me. God desires me to be generous when we manage everything he's given me. You know, we moved here, and it took us several months to get a house, so we finally bought our house. Can I just tell you, home ownership in Denver is not what I thought it would be. Because remember, I've lived in San Diego and Dallas. When I owned my home, I'd only been here like, Two months and someone says, okay, have you blown out your irrigation? I'm like, what? I'm like, yeah, you, have you blown out your irrigation? I'm going, no, I just turn it on and off. That's all I do with my irrigation. So you know what I'm talking about, don't you? I didn't know there's this ritual that comes with Halloween that you're supposed to blow out your, your irrigation before you get here. 
I'm telling you right now, it is stressful owning a home in Denver, okay? When we were renting the condo, it was no big deal. They had irrigation. I never worried about blowing out the irrigation when I was in that condo there across town. And you know, if something broke in the apartment, guess what I did? I just called the owner going, hey, you need to come fix it. Here's what I've come to realize. You know why we stress out so much over our finances? Because we think we own it. If it's God's, we don't stress out about it. But somehow we've taken our possessions and we're like, mine, 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 mine. And we feel the stress that comes with ownership. And God's going, if you would remember it's mine, you wouldn't worry about it so much. Several years ago, I had my high school basketball coach call me. Now, we have conversations time to time, 40 years ago playing basketball, a long time ago. But he called me and he said, Keith, he said, we've watched your ministry from afar, my wife and I, my family, and we just, we're affirmed by you. He said, we had a death in the family and I've inherited some money and I need to tithe off this money and I'd like to tithe it to your ministry. And at the point, I had a kind of a side ministry that I'd speak at different churches, so it was a nonprofit. And he said, I want to give it to your ministry. And I assured him when he gave it to me, I'm like, okay, when you give this to me, this is not so we can go remodel the kitchen. This is not so we can do something fun. This goes to ministry. And he goes, Keith, you use it to bless people however you want to. So Denise and I had this little account set up that this was the blessing money in there. It wasn't my money. It was all given to us. I want you to know over the last three or four years as this money came to us, it has been amazing and fun to watch how God uses it. Had a friend of mine that was a single father going back to college, but he didn't have a good computer. And I said, you know what? Let me buy that computer for you. Now, I didn't buy it out of Keith and Denise's account. I bought it out of the blessing account. And I wrote that check. I didn't sweat one bit writing that check. I'm going, here you go. I have a special needs friend of mine. Every time I go back to Texas, I take him out to eat and he likes cars. So we go to the hobby shop, we buy him a car. We just call it a Jimmy day. And so we'll spend three or four hours together. Last week when I went to Texas to go see him, there was no other reason to go but just to go see Jimmy because he'd kind of been alone for a while. And when I wrote the check for the cars and the meals and the airplane ticket, I'm not thinking, oh, I probably should spend this money some other way. I'm just simply saying, God, this is your money. I'm moving it out of this account into Jimmy's account. We've gone to funerals, we've gone to weddings and blessed people with our presence there because we had this money of God's. It wasn't mine. You with me? It's easy spending. Had we not had that account and they would come out of our joint account, our bills account, every time I would have wrote a check for something, I'd have stressed out going, oh, it's getting lower, it's getting lower. But here's what I'm recognizing. When God has it, when God owns it, he intends for us to manage it and be generous with it. And it's given me a perspective going, God, if I would take my 90% that's mine and I would understand that you own that, I wonder next time if I could write a check out to take Jimmy car shopping, model car shopping, that is, model car shopping, if I would find even more joy out of it because it's out of God's money. Are you with me? And so church, as we talk about this, here's what I'm realizing generosity is simply when God owns it all, moving money from one account to another, not out of my account to someplace else. It's simply one of God's accounts to another. And here's my hope and prayer as we move through this next month and we talk about generosity is that God would use it to mold us to be more like him. As John three sixteen says, for God so loved the world that he gave 
And my prayer for us as a church, for you individually and for us as a church, is to be known as a generous church. And I hope the neighbors cross the street go, now why are you always putting on those block parties? Why are you always doing this? Why are you giving this? And we simply say, because we're just trying to be more like Jesus. And Jesus was a giving individual. Jesus was a giving piece of who God is in life. And when the world sees Jesus in us, they will be drawn to the very salvation that Jesus came to this world for. And so that's why I said this series is not about pocketbooks. It's about wholeheartedness. And I pray that we are a church that's wholehearted. Now, before I wrap up, let me share one thing with you, an initiative that we're going to do during these weeks. And the initiative is to be generous, not for ourselves, but for others. And there's an organization called YWAM. It stands for Youth with a Mission. It's a worldwide organization. They do just amazing evangelistic, amazing just ministry things around the world. And one of the ministries they have is in Tijuana, Mexico, and they actually have what they call a house build. And for $25,000, what happens is that buys all the supplies and they bring groups in after paying the $25,000 and that group just builds a house for a needy family. The families are vetted and so they know it's a good worthwhile family they're doing it for. And I've known churches and groups that have done this. A friend of mine did it and it changed his life. He was nominal even in following Jesus, but he said, Keith, after we spent three days in building this house from slab to finish, and some of the ladies went to Walmart and bought the furniture and the food to put in the house. And he said, we stood around in a circle with the family holding hands. There's like 20 of us that built this house. And he said, we handed them the keys. My friend's generosity changed his own life. And he met Jesus himself in a greater way. And so church, what I'd like to lead us in over this next month is to look into, not look into, but to, to engage in this YWAM initiative that we go and build a house. You say, well, I can't go. Well, you can be part of the generosity, the financial generosity. Some of you may be carpenters and tools, trades like that, and you can go be a part of it. Some will say, well, I don't even know how to use a hammer. You can even take somebody like that. I'm going to go on it. I don't know how to use a hammer, but they'll teach you how to do that. And we'll be a part of raising a family from the ground up a home and giving this home to them. So I say, well, hold on a second, Keith. I've looked at our South Subs budget recently. We're about 30, 40,000 behind where we want to be. Now, we're still ahead on our spending, but we're behind where we predicted we would be. And so is that really wise to give something to someone else when we could use it for ourselves? And my answer is it's the wisest thing we could do because generosity is a paradox. It's when you hang on to that you lose, but when you give, you receive. And I think it's just an opportunity that God says, it's just a way we as a church can be generous. Now, let me make sure you understand this. This is giving in addition to, not instead of. Because sometimes our generosity says, oh, if it's moving from one account to another, I'll just move my giving over here, and I'll put my giving over here, and we can do it. That's a form of generosity, but it's not extending generosity extending our generosity says I will keep committed to giving to the ministry of the church but this is my extra one percent two percent three percent this is my extra time over here this is my extra talents over here that we can be a, be a part of a church that blesses a family amazingly now you're gonna hear more about it hopefully I have some videos that I can show you some ways that you can get to it I just want to throw that out to you just going generosity is here but it's there also 
and I want us to be a part of it. Let me wrap up with the last verse that David said. At the very end, he said this in First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 20. He says, then David said to the whole entire assembly, give praise to the Lord your God. And the entire assembly praises the Lord, the God of our ancestors. And they bowed low and knelt before the Lord and the king. And he led them to praise the Lord. I can't think of a better way that we could praise the Lord together as we end our service than communion. Because isn't that the time that we come together going, and Jesus, it's because of you. Your ultimate sacrifice, your ultimate generosity is why we're generous back. And so I'm going to go ahead and ask the elders if you guys will come forward here.